So today we're going to continue uh, working or journeying, should I say, through Luke's Gospel. We've been on it for quite a while now, about 18 months, and we're only up to chapter 8. So right, we've still got quite a way to go. I, when, I think it was John, actually, when I, when I first mentioned in the elders' meeting that we're going to work through Luke, he went, oh, well, that's five years, you know, prepared already. I thought he was jesting, um, but it is looking like it could be that long. But our passage that we're going to be looking at today is one that draws us back to truths that we have already looked at many times in Luke and we will look at again many times in the future because the principles that we're looking at today are foundational, really, to our faith and our walk with Jesus. But I don't make any apologies if you've already heard what I'm going to say today. I make no apologies at all because constantly Jesus and the disciples went back over the same things over and over and over again, maybe in different ways, but the thread, the principle, the underlying message was always there and constant. And there's a reason for that, which we will explore a bit later. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke's Gospel. I've lost my page. There we go. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 19 to 21. It will be on the screen for those who haven't been able to uh, bring their Bibles with them. And it says this. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do the word of God. Amen indeed. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, what an absolute privilege it is for us to be able to gather here this morning, your body, your bride, your people, to enjoy fellowship with one another, but fundamentally to come together as a body and worship you, to praise you, to glorify you. What a privilege it was for us to break bread together and to remember your ultimate sacrifice. What a privilege it is to open your word and to read your truth, the richness of your truth. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts, that you open our ears to what you have to say to us and you want to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that you use me as your vessel this morning. May I become invisible and may your people only ever hear you and see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus has just finished teaching an important or important parables within a group of people. He just particularly finished talking about the light that was in us. And Matt, if you remember, Matt preached this a couple of weeks ago, that light that is in us and how we shouldn't hide it under a basket. 
but share that light, share that good news, share that witness to those who we come into contact with. But then we read, as he's standing amongst this group of people, that Jesus' mother Mary and and brothers arrive wanting to speak to him. Now, before we get into the main... um, the main thrust of the passage, there are two things that I just want us to briefly explore. Um, The first is this. Luke says in verse 19 that Jesus' brothers came to visit. Brothers being plural, meaning that there was more than one. We know of James, Jesus' brother. We hear a you know, a fair bit about James in scripture. But this seems to suggest that there are others. Who, who knows that Jesus had siblings, more than one? Anyone didn't know that? No one brave enough to put the hand up. That's all right, that's all right. But it's helpful for us just to pause and explore that just for a moment because it's important for us Remember I said before, uh, don't skip over the bridge. Do you remember that message? This is one of those sections. You know, it's, it's just a bit of a historical writing. His mother and his brothers came because they wanted to see him. But we can easily skip over that without just pausing and just saying, what can, that, what can I learn from that moment, from, from what I'm here reading there? And this is just one of those things. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, just briefly, let's turn to Matthew 13, 55. just to support this idea Uh, Matthew 13 55 Um. Hmm. where am I ah yes so Jesus this is This is the the, the story, if you will, of Jesus being sort of rejected, if you like, in Nazareth. Um, And people from the town turn around and say this, is this not, is this not the carpenter's son, referring to Jesus, is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, and are not all his sisters with us? Sisters, plural as well. We don't know how many, but it was definitely more than one. And it's just helpful for us to pause on that and just highlight that. It seems that Mary and Joseph did have other children. But it is worth mentioning that this has also been a hotly debated subject in certain circles. Who has heard... Uh, at all of the doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Anyone come across that in the past? One, two, three. Anyone else? Yeah, a few people. Basically, it's the, uh, the doctrine is held primarily by the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but it is also, or has been adopted by some Lutherians, some uh, Anglicans, even some Protestants, Uh, churches out there and it claims that Mary 
was a virgin before the conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, during and continued to live her life as a virgin. The reason I say that is it might come up in conversations with people that you know. So it's worth just knowing some of the different viewpoints out there. Very helpful for us. And uh, it, it's the principles taken by a, uh, a non-canonical book that was written around AD 20, uh, the book of James, um, or the, I get the proper name of it now, Proto-Evangelium of James, I think it's called, um, which is basically a book that was written not by James, but uh, it's about Mary's life in her, in her entirety. And it claims things such as uh, Joseph was, um, was a lot older than Mary. He had already been married. And the children that we've just read, on, read in this passage, they were stepchildren to Jesus, not, uh, not if you like, part of uh, their family. Um, and Joseph looked after Mary throughout her life. So that's the sort of angle, well, I don't want to go in too, too deep today, but that's the sort of angle that that doctrine speaks into. So, but it's just worth knowing that. I do believe, I do believe that Mary and Joseph had children together. But that doesn't mean that every person believed that, so it's just worth highlighting it. But there's another question that we must ask in this. Who's missing from this family visit? Joseph. Joseph is missing, isn't he? In fact, Joseph hasn't been mentioned since Mary and Joseph left Jesus in Jerusalem. Back in, I think we touched on it in Luke 2. That was the last time that Joseph was actually mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. And a lot of people, sorry, a lot of scholars believe that Jesus had died by this point before Jesus had started his ministry. Uh, sorry, who did I say? Jesus. Not Jesus. <laughs> Scrub that out of the tape. Um, sorry, Joseph had died before Jesus had started his ministry, which is, could, could, be, could be one of the reasons why Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. Being the eldest, he may have had to have looked after Mary throughout that time. Who knows? Um, it may also have been why Jesus arranged... Um, the Apostle John to care for Mary when Jesus was on the cross. I mean, that's pretty amazing when you think about it, isn't it? I mean, the, the pain and the torture that Jesus went through on the cross, but he still had time to make sure that Mary was going to be looked, out, look, looked after. Praise God. So here we are. Mary and Jesus' brothers. We don't know where, it doesn't say his sisters are there, but his brothers are, are all here to speak to Jesus, but they can't get close to him. So as we read in the passage, that they ask someone to work through the crowd and let Jesus know that they were there. And what does Jesus say? Jesus' reply, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do, excuse me, the word of God. Now I don't know about you, but if that was me in that moment, I probably would have got a flick round the ear by my mother 
for not acknowledging the fact she'd come to see me. Who knows? Who knows? But as we have seen on countless occasions, as we've journeyed through Luke, Jesus has a higher mission. He's looking to higher things than just his earthly family that's around him. And one such area of focus is the establishment of his spiritual family. Now, disclaimer here, Jesus isn't saying that earthly families aren't important. That is not what he's saying. Or that he doesn't care for Mary and his siblings. That is absolutely not the message here, even though it can be sound blunt like that. Of course he cares for earthly families. He instituted earthly families. Of course he cares for them. We saw that, as I've mentioned, his love for Mary on that cross and his desire for her and her well-being. But he's saying that, in essence, spiritual relationships are fundamentally important in our walk with God and with each other. To Jesus, his real family, if I can put it that way, his real family is made up of those who hear the word of God and do the word of God. So who specifically might he be speaking about in this statement in the passage that we uh, are reading today? Is he saying uh, that those who have never heard the gospel but then hear his good news and respond are his spiritual family? Yeah, I do think there is a salvation message in this statement. I do believe there is a salvation message in this statement. But I would also suggest there is absolutely a sanctification message for believers in this message as well. And it's this aspect that I want us to focus on this morning as we explore the two clear questions that this passage asks of us. And those two questions are, what does it mean to hear the word of God and what does it mean to do the word of God? Because they're the two questions that scream out at me when I read this passage. So first of all, Jesus expects us to listen Jesus expects us to listen. Now when Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God, he's most likely referring to, in that moment, the Old Testament scriptures that they had and they would have known very well. But also the words that he is speaking that we now are blessed with in our scriptures. Jesus is the Word, is he not? Jesus is the Logos, as the Apostle John tells us at the beginning of his Gospel. Jesus is the embodiment of the Word of God who proclaims the message of God. Today for us, we are blessed to have the Bible. Aren't we blessed? My gosh, we really are blessed to have this. It is the infallible, 
Holy Spirit-inspired word of a living God. A living God. It is our datum, our plumb line for all things associated to knowing God, knowing his character, his personality, knowing his action in the world, his purpose in all creation, and our source of hope and guidance to life and living. And every time we open this Bible and read the words, we hear the heart of God speaking through it. It is the most important possession we could ever have apart from the physical presence of Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Many of us know this very, very well. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here's a question. Why do so many of us struggle to pick this up and read it on a daily basis? Because it's true. It's true. Many people in this room struggle to pick this up every day to read it. There are days, and I'm just being transparent with you, that I've struggled to pick this up and read it. Watch, I'll get my P60 or whatever it is at the end of P45 at the end of this now. But it's true, isn't it? We do struggle. The world we live in provides many ways for us to hear God's word. Many ways for us to hear God's word. But not all of these ways are fruitful and helpful. We must be wise and careful to ensure that the ways that we choose, that we allow ourselves to hear God's word, are fruitful. Let's explore this a little bit. So, this is where you you come in. Okay, thought you were going to be sitting there nice and comfy and quietly today, didn't you? So, give me some reasons or some, some examples of the different ways that we can hear and learn God's word today. Don't be afraid, shout them out. Podcasts. Reading guides, absolutely. Radio. Oh, Heather, sorry. YouTube. Any others? Oh, television, yep. Someone else said... Oh, good one. That's, su- that's super holy points there, uh, <laughs> there, Matt. Any others? Yeah, talks. Yeah. Sorry. Preaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, that should have been the first one, shouldn't it? <laughs> Any others? Absolutely. Paintings. 
I mean, just on that, you go back to the Middle Ages, churches even in England, people couldn't read or write. Why do you think they had stained glass windows in the churches? To tell the story of the Bible. Yeah, well, they couldn't read Latin or, or speak Latin, so they, you know, had to look at the stained glass windows, one or the other. Can anyone think of any others? This isn't a trick question. I'm just trying to get out of here all of these different aspects that we have today, the breadth of opportunities we have to hear God's word. Home groups? Yep, absolutely. So, so together in groups? Songs? Magazines? Apps? Apps on your Bible? Oh, sorry, apps on your phone? Apps on your Bible. There's a, there's a new concept. Yeah. <laughs> you got to read your Bible. <laughs> Can you see there is so many opportunities, isn't there? There are so many different ways for us to hear the word of God. But let me ask you this question. Are all of them fruitful? See, we think, oh, I, I, can, I can listen to this, I can read that, I can, you know, I've got all of this, all these opportunities, but is it all fruitful? Bible apps, Tony, you said that. Bible apps, aren't they a wonderful thing? Yeah, they are a wonderful tool that we've got in our pocket, or even my phone's down there, I don't know why I'm tapping my uh, pocket. But they can be incredibly helpful. However, what's really interesting is I've asked a few people this question. Oh, so you use the app on your phone. Brilliant, fine. I, I do from time to time. How many times have you sat there and someone's pinged you a message or a WhatsApp's come through or, you know, a post on social media has come and distracted you away from what you're reading? It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to many of you. Yeah? So that can be, if we allow it, actually an unfruitful moment. Because in the day and age that we live in, if someone, if you've posted something, so on your social media, and you instantly get a, a ping up as you're deep in revelation or something, you're having a real moment with the Lord, and you get someone's liked your post, that's a real pull, isn't it? Oh, who is it? Who's liked my post? And a lot of the time, people will click on that to go and find out what's happened. Instantly, you've been pulled straight away from God's word. Now, I know that can, it might be an extreme example, but it is still something we have to be careful of when we're using the Bible on our phone. I will always encourage people, get your Bible. Bring a paper Bible to church. It doesn't have to be this big, but bring a paper Bible. There is no distractions apart from God's word, which is a good distraction. Okay? But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't not use the app on your phone, because they are helpful from time to time. But you've just got to be aware that it can be an unfruitful moment if, it, if something pulls you away from reading on your phone. Reading books. We have magazines and so on and so forth. Reading books about the Bible. I'm sure many of us here, I know some of us have read many, many books about 
the Bible, about scripture, about theology, about doctrine. Is that always fruitful? Oh, I could get myself in real trouble here. I feel, feel John staring at me. <laughs> it's not fruitful if all you ever do is read books about the Bible. If that's all you ever do, you're only ever reading other people's interpretation of what God can reveal to you by opening your own Bible and reading his word and allowing the spirit to minister to you in that moment. But also, and I am going to be bold in saying this, do you know who you're reading? How many times have you been recommended a book on theology or doctrine or whatever it is, and you've gone, oh, I'll have a read of that? Is that me making that noise? I think it is, isn't it? See how we get on from there. How many times have you actually gone, I'm going to just do my homework on whoever this author is? I hope you do, because that's wisdom. Just to make sure that they are reputable. Is that the right word? Reputable. I can barely say it. But they are a good source. Are we going to swap over, Luke? Wonderful. That they are a good source of learning. So books can absolutely be an incredible part of our hearing of God's word, but they can be sometimes unfruitful if all we ever do is read them and we don't balance that with our own time in God's word. Also, if you don't know who's written that book, how do you know that what they're writing in there is fruitful? How many of you heard of the rise of progressive Christianity? Well, it's not a rise, it's just under a different name to the, in today's world. I sent the, uh, the, the elders a video. I wasn't going to say this, but I will. I sent the, the elders a video uh, a little while ago of a guy in America preaching on John 3.16. He was a progressive preacher and he was in essence saying that if you read uh, John 3.16 isn't what evangelicals think it means. Jesus wasn't God. He came to the revelation of who he was in God. And ultimately he become like a God. And we can all become like God's. This is, this is a very small example of what the rise of progressive Christianity can look like. Well, if you read a book by that person because someone else has recommended it to you and you're not grounded in your word, well, you might go, wow, I can be a god. Who knows where you end up? And the same principle goes for podcasts, for YouTube, all of these different things, you can spend so much time reading and listening this plethora of information that's out there now about faith, but you've got to do your homework on who they are, what do they believe, who endorses them in some respects, 
because you can you can be led down a path that isn't helpful or fruitful but there is some incredible preachers out there absolutely there are some incredible disciples and, and messengers of the word so I'm not saying not, don't do that but you've got to be wise with it but there is another challenge with this I know people who will sit on a Sunday and will watch four messages throughout the whole of the Sunday. They'll have their own church, then they'll listen to something else when they're cooking dinner in their ears, then they'll watch maybe another service, another church. That's four different messages throughout that day. Where's the time to chew over what you've heard? We can, if we're not careful, go into information overload. Constant, constant message upon message upon message upon message, which is great, but does it go in? Does, it, does that seed get sown and do we allow that time just in contemplation and prayer for that seed to, to expand and grow? Or do we go, that was a great message, let's listen to the next one, let's listen to the next one and the next one. Preaching on a Sunday as Anne said, it is important. It is important. But let me ask the question. Well, actually, I'm not going to ask, is it, is it fruitful? I'll leave that one to you. Um, if you don't think it is, come and speak to me afterwards. It's absolutely fine. I'm a, I've got big broad shoulders. Um, let me ask a question. How many of you take notes See, part of what we're doing here today is to learn. Anyone that stands up in a pulpit has spent time exploring the word, studying the word, in order to be able to share, hopefully, some insight, some understanding of the, 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 the breadth and the depth of just goodness in God's word. But if, if as... Uh, if we come just as partakers, how can we take that away in the afternoon and go, do you know what? I'm going to just explore what was said. I'm going to look at the passages. I'm, going to, I'm just going to contemplate on that. I'm just going to let God minister to what I heard today. A lot of the time, we're just partakers. We come, we sit down, we listen, go, oh, that was great. Go for our coffee, talk about what's happening this week or what's happening next week. Yeah, it's incredibly important this is one thing that our pastor actually Tom he always used to say don't just take my word for it take, take what I'm preaching home spend time with God in it yourself go back to the passages read it mull it over allow the spirit to minister to you in it because then you've got more chance of carrying it into the week with you now, I'm not saying any of these things are wrong. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, they can all be incredible, a incredible blessing and a real sort of, um, important to us. But ultimately, hearing God's word isn't about the number of messages on YouTube you can listen to in a day or the number of theological books that you can read in a week. At its foundational level, it's about the time you set aside to open his word and listen to the words as you read it 
listen to it, contemplating over the words, chewing on the words, allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you and reveal the fruit of the passage that you're reading. But we often, we often say, but I don't have time or I don't like reading. And I appreciate that some people really do struggle with that. I'm not, I don't want to paint everyone in the same box. But for many of us, we use that as an excuse. And I'm sorry if, if that comes across as harsh, but it is true. We do use it a lot of the time as an excuse. I haven't got time, but I will sit and watch TV and Netflix. I haven't got time, but I will go out every evening to socialise. I haven't got time, but I will sit for an hour and scroll through social media. I struggle to read the Bible, but I will spend the hour reading posts on my social media. Yeah? Please, I'm not, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad here. I'm just, I just want us to wake up a little bit and look at our, maybe look at ourselves a bit and say, actually, I've, I've used those excuses in the past. Ask my wife. But they are just excuses. God's word is a lamp to our feet and light to our path, as it says in Psalm 119. So Jesus wants us to be hearers of the word, but he also wants us to put into practice what we hear. In verse 21 of our passage today, we read, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word, but are also doers of the word. In the NIV it says, uh, those who put it into practice. Now here's a question. Do you believe that you are a child of God? Amen. Good, good. Do you believe that you are co-heirs with Christ? Amen. Romans 18. Now we are children. Uh, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Once we have given our life to Jesus through faith in him, accepted his sacrificial act upon the cross, repented and turned from our old lives into newness of life, and hope in him, we become members of God's family. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We are part of God's family, every one of us in this room, who are disciples of Jesus and commit our lives to him, are part of the household of God. And that means that as God is our heavenly father, and we are his children, he loves us, he wants to protect us, and he wants to teach and guide us, just like we want to do with our own children. And he does this in order that we can continue on that journey or that road of sanctification that we are all on. And God, being the gracious God that he is, has made our life a little bit easier, a little bit easier, by summing up in three verses what he wants of us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, to love your neighbour as yourself. Seems quite straightforward, doesn't it? When you just read it like that. It seems straightforward. So why do we find it so difficult to put into practice a lot of the time? 
love the Lord your God. I would suggest to you that one of the reasons this is difficult is because many of us, many Christians, put other gods in front of God the Father in our lives. It's a battle, in essence, it's a battle of the flesh. A lot of the time we like to put our hobbies before God. When all we focus on is maybe our hobbies, we're into dangerous territory. Hobbies aren't bad, so please, no emails to say that I'm telling people they shouldn't have hobbies. <laughs> but when that takes over our commitment and dedication and love to God, then we're in dangerous territory. Our work, our work can become a God in our life. And I'm going to be bold here and say that sometimes even our family can become a God in our life. And I say that very respectfully, so please again, no emails. But I remember a young lady who was in our, actually as our first couple, many years ago when we had our home group, and she wrestled with this. Because we were discussing how God must be first and foremost in our life, before anything. And we were talking or I'd made a comment about even before our children. Doesn't mean we don't love our children. Doesn't mean we don't care and support and guide. And of course, we just mm, want to wrap them up and you know do all of those things. But God must be first. And we often say in our in our life, God is number one. Then it's me and Kelly, and then the children, and so on and so forth. Because I know that in doing so, God will absolutely bless that. You know, um, be the foundation. Should I say? of all we do within our family. But she struggled with that. I will not, I can't love God more than my children. It was a real sticking point, you remember? But then as God ministered to her heart, because she thought, how can I, how can I love people, someone, uh, God more than my children? But as God continued to minister to her, he opened her eyes and, and showed her that it's not about not loving her children any less. But actually when she places him first and God works through her to her children I mean they experience a love that they would never have experienced just from a worldly perspective to love God with our whole being is a big ask if you truly think about it it really is a big ask it could mean giving up our possessions our desires our wants there is a cost to following Jesus that's why we sometimes get into the tug of war with the Holy Spirit between the things that we know we should be doing and the things that we want to do. Galatians uh, 2.20, I have been crucified, this is Paul speaking, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. But we equally struggle with loving our neighbours, don't we? We equally struggle with that. Why do we find it so difficult to forgive someone? I mean, just look to your neighbour. Just look to your neighbor. I mean, come on, don't, aren't they just easy to love? <laughs> I heard a couple of no's there. <laughs> it's a similar story. We allow our flesh to dictate our response instead of what God calls us to respond, how, how he calls us to respond. When we are wronged, we feel the injustice of it all, don't we? We feel the injustice of it all. 
and we don't let go until we see justice. But this can be more damaging to us than to them. It can be more damaging. It bursts a resentment in us, an anger, a bitterness. And all these things are harmful to us, not conducive to a healthy, Christ-centered life. Get rid of all bitterness, Scripture says, rage and anger, brawling and slander, among, uh, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, just as Christ forgave you. I mean, that is just a. If there's anything that's going to ground you, it's that statement. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Can't argue with that, can we? But I do just want to say on that, I know, I know, just to bring it into the real world for a moment, I know that many people have been hurt and it is difficult to forgive. I'm not trying to make light of that. It is difficult to forgive. But stay the course. Keep focused on Christ and there will come a time where you feel able to forgive. So how do we start living and practicing these three verses into our lives as we are commanded to do? Well, praise God that he's only given us, uh, that he's given us the Holy Spirit uh, as our helping hand and our support, that he's placed us in a fellowship to support each other and love each other, that he's given us the whole Bible as examples as well. And the bands might want to come up at this point. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. This powerful, important passage is a statement that encapsulates the message of the entire Bible. There are verses, chapters, pages, books uh, that, that break this verse down. Passages that give examples, stories to encourage us. All are God-breathed to inspire us and all are there to equip us to live by his truth. But only if we take the time to slow down, to read his word and to wisely live the word with all the opportunities that we've got around us. If you want to know what dedication to God looks like, go and look at Abraham and Sarah. Read about Moses, read about Job. If you need inspiration to love your neighbour, go and read the story of the Good Samaritan as just an example. If you want inspiration on how to get through life as a Christian, go and read the letters of Paul and of John and of Peter. And if you want the ultimate inspiration to follow, go and read about Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It is the very reason that we are working through the book of Luke at the minute to look at Jesus' ministry, to look at his life, how he acted, how he spoke, how he lived in order to inspire us to follow his example. Now we've heard all this before, haven't we? And I'm sure many of you are sitting there going, oh, we've heard this all before. 
good. And you will hear it again because it comes up constantly in Scripture. There is a reason that Jesus often shared similar truths but in different ways in the gospel because we need reminding of them. We are members of Jesus' spiritual family. Let us be hearers of the word by spending fruitful time in God's presence. And let us be doers of the word in order that we might continue to grow Christ-like, to be at peace in our own lives so that we are then we're in a position to be able to share peace to a fallen world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there is a repetitive message throughout your word. And this is one of them, Lord, that we are to constantly be a people that hears your words, but also then puts into practice your word. We're not talking about salvation of works here. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about being your hands and your feet in the world and about us growing closer to, to the likeness of Christ. So Lord, I thank you for your word and I just pray that you, uh, that you just help us to retain the truths that we've heard this morning. Help them to, uh, for us to carry them into our afternoon, to explore them ourselves, to ask questions, to pray them through, to look back over the passages we may have looked at so that we may grow closer to you. But bless us, Lord, as we move into this week. Help us to be your hands and your feet and minister your goodness and share the witness and the truth that is in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.